This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the latest stats from the health department show more than 16,000 Floridians have now been killed by COVID-19. The actual figure, 16,021. Now, if you include the people who lived elsewhere but died in Florida, the total goes up to 16,222. As the DeSantis administration continues its campaign to downplay the threat from COVID-19, they began talking about one way to stop the daily dirge of stories about all the Floridians dying from the disease. The idea? Stop the daily reports. Start releasing them on a weekly basis. Joe Biden's running mate comes to Florida on day one of early voting in the Sunshine State. Kamala Harris addressed a drive-up rally in Orlando. I had to come here on the kickoff of early voting in Florida, because y'all are going to make it happen. You will make it happen. What you will do here in Florida, in Orlando, what you will do by early voting is you will be the first to put our country back on the right track. Early voting is now underway in 54 counties. Liberty and Sumter County began today. All 67 counties are opening for early voting by Saturday. After years of playing second fiddle to the guys, women are stepping up in politics. Political scientist Susan McManus says women are outvoting men, there are more female candidates, and women are donating more money to candidates than ever before. For anybody who even for a second thinks that the women's vote isn't going to matter and matter hugely, in 2020, all you have to do is to look at where we are in Florida. You'll hear more from Dr. McManus on the Sunrise Soapbox. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and check in with a Florida man and a Florida woman busted for drunk driving and drunk boating. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, October 20th. It was on this date in 1864 that President Abraham Lincoln formally established Thanksgiving as a national holiday. So all those stories they told us growing up when we were kids about the first Thanksgiving with the pilgrims and the Indians? Yeah, nonsense. Another day, another milestone in the COVID crisis. The state health department reporting 1,700 new cases and 54 additional fatalities Monday. Coronavirus has now claimed the lives of more than 16,000 Floridians. If you include the 201 victims from out of state who died here, the death toll is 16,222. When the COVID crisis began, Governor Ron DeSantis was holding press conferences or roundtable events almost every day to deliver his take on the pandemic. But now that he's trying to downplay the danger, the governor appears to have a new strategy. Ignore it. He's only held one press conference this month on coronavirus. That was two weeks ago. That has not stopped the reports of gloom and doom when the health department releases its daily casualty count. But there is another way to do that. My colleague Renzo Downey with Florida Politics reports the governor's office has begun discussing the possibility of dumping the daily reports, issuing them only once a week. The governor's communications director, Fred Piccolo, says the switch would likely be tied to a decline in new cases, perhaps when Florida has a day without any fatalities to report. Now, over the past two weeks, Florida has averaged 92 confirmed resident deaths every single day. Piccolo says there have only been a couple of conversations on this. There is no consensus, and the change is not imminent. Democratic Senators Lori Berman of Delray Beach and Janet Cruz of Tampa responded by issuing a joint statement calling this a political stunt and a page from Donald Trump's, quote, tired playbook of obfuscation. Early voting is now underway in most of Florida's counties. Democratic VP nominee Kamala Harris held a drive-up rally in Orlando to urge supporters to get out and vote and put the country back on the right track. 
There is so much on the ballot in 2020. Justice is on the ballot in 2020. Economic justice is on the ballot in 2020. Climate justice is on the ballot in 2020. Healthcare justice is on the ballot in 2020. Reproductive justice is on the ballot in 2020. Criminal justice reform is on the ballot in 2020. Climate reform is on the ballot in 2020. Everything is on the ballot in 2020. Joe Biden is on the ballot in 2020. And we're going to get this done. And we're going to get it done. We're going to get it done. And I don't need to tell everybody here what's at stake. You know, here in Florida already, you all know, one in eight Floridians described their household as being hungry in September. One in eight. One in five Floridians described that they couldn't pay the rent in the month of September. And let's think about how we got here. Back in January, the current occupant of the White House knew he had inside information. He knew that this virus was five times more deadly than the flu. He knew it would impact children of America. He knew it was airborne. But what did he do? He kept that information to himself. I call it a cover-up. He didn't let you know on January 28th what he knew on January 28th. Can you imagine if you all knew, if we knew on January 28th what he knew? But he didn't tell the American people. He covered it up. And now we look at where we are. And we are in the midst of four crises happening at the same time in the moment where we are also witnessing the greatest failure of any presidential administration in the history of America. Harris is also urging people to ignore misinformation being spread by the administration about the voting process. Donald Trump trying to confuse people about the integrity of our voting system, trying to suggest that you can't trust it, right? But we know better, and we know when somebody's trying to play us. We know when someone, see, is trying to pull the wool over our eyes, trying to discourage us, trying to deflate our enthusiasm, trying to suggest to us that we don't matter. We can see that. We know that. That's not new to us. And in the face of these moments, we ask ourselves then a question. Why are so many powerful people trying to get in the way of us voting? Why are these powerful people trying to suggest we can't trust the system, putting in place laws that are designed to suppress the vote, trying to purge the voter rolls, trying to make it difficult. Why are they doing that? And the answer, of course, we know is this. Because they know when we vote, we win. When we vote, we change things. We make it better. We know our power. We know our power. They know our power. And we know we will never let anybody take our power from us. 
Harris is hoping to break some barriers by becoming the first woman elected vice president in America, and women are playing a huge role in the 2020 campaign. Next up on the Sunrise Soapbox, you'll hear from political scientist Susan McManus on the women's vote. And for starters, she says there really is no such thing, because it's way more complicated than that. But first, a word from the sponsors. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. Predict It is like the stock market for all things politics. Instead of trading stock in companies, you're investing money into your opinions on everything from election results to how many times President Trump will tweet this week. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Our podcast listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Try it today. Welcome back to the Sunrise Soapbox. Our guest today is political scientist Susan McManus, who has spent more than 30 years following the foibles of Florida politics. It's been 100 years since women got the right to vote, and McManus says their influence is growing every year. Women have outvoted men in terms of turning out to vote since 1980 across the country. And if you just take a look at, in 2018, Florida, the vote party and gender, you see that women particularly among Democrats, turned out at a much higher rate than men. But in general, the Republican turnout is higher than Democrat in Florida, and that's been that way for a while as well. So here we are. Once again, Florida toss-up. From the get-go, they have been putting uh, Florida as a toss-up and the biggest prize in terms of electoral college votes. Already $1 billion has been spent on TV ads just in six key states. And not surprisingly, the most is spent in, you guessed it, Florida. And if you really analyze who is featured in these TV ads, a predominance, I would estimate at least 80 to 90% of the people and issues, particularly photos of people featured in those TV ads are uh, women. But it's really difficult to predict who's going to win in this crazy state that we're in, an exciting state, I might add, as a political scientist. Our population grows between one election and another. We really don't know what issue is going to be the issue that really pushes somebody in one direction or another. We only have a couple weeks now before the election, but depending if something could happen between now and then that might cause a voter who's on the edge about A, voting, and B, who to vote for, to, to move in one direction. And we've already seen two major, major events occur within the last month of this campaign, the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg in the Supreme Court vacancy, and then a president himself sidelined and hospitalized with the very disease that's the focal point of this election. Plus, we see this tremendous generational divide. Younger voters are very much more progressive than older voters on issues and on uh, communication. They're much more Snapchat, older people, Facebook, if you're on just to take a generational social media divide. And of course, in our state, we're a hard state to poll in because we have such diversity. And obviously, if you're wondering why women who are wondering if their vote's gonna count or matters in our state, all you have to do is look at this staggering history of elections in Florida. And you see 
five elections in a row, statewide elections, three governors and two presidential, the margin of victory has been 1% or less. And in fact, it was a half percent in the 2018 governor's race and went to a recount. There's no other state that is this kind of divided, but yet representative view of sort of the country at large. So for anybody who even for a second thinks that the women's vote isn't going to matter and matter hugely in 2020, all you have to do is to look at where we are in Florida. But don't bother asking McManus what's happening with the women's vote in Florida. She says there's really no such thing in a state this diverse. We are, quite frankly, the nation's most diverse swing state and have been for decades. But especially this year, we're getting a lot of attention because how close we are and how diverse we are and how important in terms of our share of the electoral college votes that are needed to elect a president. It doesn't get any more competitive between Democrats and Republicans than it is right now in Florida with only about 134, 135,000 registrants differ between Democrats and Republicans. There is a tendency to say the women's vote, but as we've clearly seen already, it's the women's votes. People and women particularly don't think alike, and uh, anybody that tries to cast it as this monolithic vote are making a very big mistake in Florida. McManus was speaking during a video conference organized by the Florida Commission on the Status of Women. It's part of their celebration of 100 years of women's suffrage in America. Airbnb and other vacation rental platforms score a huge victory at the Florida Supreme Court without doing a thing. The court is refusing to hear an appeal in a legal dispute over whether those companies have to pay tourist development taxes. Palm Beach County tax collector Ann Gannon went to the Supreme Court after an appeals court ruled in favor of Airbnb, TripAdvisor, and HomeAway. As usual, the Supreme Court did not explain its reasons for declining to hear the case. Now, the dispute centered on bed taxes that many counties impose on short-term rentals, on hotels and motels. That money goes to tourism-related purposes. Gannon believes vacation rental platforms should also be considered dealers under state law, which would force them to collect and send in the taxes. Officials in Jacksonville are trying to get reimbursed for more than $150,000 in expenses for the Republican National Convention that never was. The GOP decided to bail on Charlotte and hold their convention in Jacksonville back in August because North Carolina insisted on social distancing. Well, Jacksonville ended up spending more than $150,000 preparing for the convention, but then a surge of COVID cases forced them to cancel the Jacksonville events and go with a virtual convention. City officials told the Florida Times-Union they have been assured by the 2020 Jacksonville Host Committee that the money will be repaid. Your calendar of events? Well, for starters, early voting continues today in 52 counties that started on Monday, and two more counties are open today, namely Liberty and Sumter. Trustees at Miami-Dade College meet at 8 in Miami. Trustees of St. Petersburg College meet at 9 in Clearwater. At 1, the Florida Chamber of Commerce starts a three-day online Future of Florida Forum. Speakers include Marco Rubio, Ron DeSantis, and Ashley Moody. Trustees at Northwest Florida State College meet at 3 in Niceville. Trustees of Santa Fe College meet online at 4. Trustees at Pensacola State College meet online at 4.30. Trustees of North Florida College meet in Madison at 5.30. And trustees of Chipola College meet at 6.30 in Mariana. Finally today, the stories of a Florida man and a Florida woman who are charged with BUI and DUI. 
A Florida man at the wheel of a large boat crashed into several other vessels docked at the Bayfront Park Marina in Sarasota over the weekend, and the whole thing was captured on video. Police arrested 32-year-old Brendan Sheridan on four counts of boating under the influence. They are still adding up the damage to all the boats. And a Florida woman is nabbed on her fourth drunk driving charge after a failed effort to blame it on her kid. 44-year-old Andrea K. Pennington of Fruitland Park was stopped by a Lake County deputy. He says her truck was swerving at slow speed on the highway. Pennington's 17-year-old son was holding a can of twisted tea in the back seat, but it wasn't his. His dad was riding in the front and admitted passing the beverage to the boy. The deputy also spotted a plastic bag hanging from the dashboard with open beer cans inside, and she admitted drinking a couple of them, but refused to blow the breathalyzer. Pennington was charged with felony drunk driving, her fourth offense, and released on $10,000 bail. That's it for today's installment of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.